Yeah. Really well. Karen Tedwani, I think we spoke just before Wings of Change came out. Uh, we did, yes. That was a uh, long time ago, yeah. September it was... the 2nd, 2020. I think your book came out on the 11th. Uh, my book came out in November, actually. It came oh, out yeah. in... That's right. I got in very early on that book, whereas now I'm talking to you the week before the release yeah. of Glorious Reinvention, the rebirth of Ajax Amsterdam. Um, first question, yeah. book two, difficult second book syndrome, or was this one a breeze? Uh, it was difficult, yes, uh, but not because of the reasons you would normally think so. Um, I've always heard that once you do write your first book, there's always an itch to go... Uh, get that second book done and it was quite similar for me so I, I, I wanted to do it and I was keen to do it and the second book in terms of writing the book itself uh, writing was quite uh, quite similar it was, sim- it, was, it was easy to write easy it was, it was the process was smooth um, but there were some other challenges and circumstances and mostly positive challenges and circumstances that came uh, in the middle uh, obviously this was the first book was written in a more uh, constrained world, you know, lockdown and all that. I had, but the second one, I had a lot more work to finish off. Uh, my own life was quite busy. Um, so it took a bit more time than I expected it to take. Uh, but the process itself was quite smooth. Uh, it was quite fun to do because uh, Ajax are, we all know, one of the most historic clubs in in football. So there's lots of people to talk to, lots of topics to delve into. Uh, so I, I enjoyed that whole process compared to Red Bull. I mean, Red Bull too was fun, but Red Bull was more... Uh, just finding out more recent history for the last 15 odd years but with Ajax you to dig down I know the book says it's covering the 21st century but in order to get to that 21st century there was a bit of digging down from the 80s and 90s so it, it, was, it was a complicated structure in, in that way but it was, it was extremely fun to do and by the end of it extremely rewarding I can't wait to uh, see it come out in a couple of days Indeed, it will be on shelves by the time this goes out at the beginning of May the book Glorious Reinvention, well, you need to talk about what they're reinvented from. And you, you pick up the third act in the three-act structure. If the first act is rise, the second is fall. And it seems that it's basically the Blues Brothers 2 getting the band back together. Because the key figure, as the cover of the book displays, and it is a patented Duncan Olner cover. If you want a book designed, get Duncan to do it. Because um, having written a book that I'm not here to talk about myself... Why we are told as authors the figures that we want on the cover and a rough design. So you knew that you wanted some of the managers uh, and some of the players on it. So who have we got on the cover as well as Johan Cruyff? Uh, as well as Johan Cruyff and background as the sort of overlooking figure. Uh, there's Edwin van der Zaar, the current club CEO. And beside him there is, on the other side, is Eric Den Haag, the current Ajax head coach. And in front of them is a group of Ajax players, including Frankie de Jong, Matthijs Schmidt, uh, David Neres, Johnny van der Beek, Dusan Tyler, and Klaasian Huntler. The whole idea was, when I, when I suggested the cover, it was to have Johan Cruyff in some fashion there as sort of the overlooking figure and to have the newer Ajax figures in front of him or around him represent both the old and new Ajax or the reinvented Ajax. And uh, this, is what came, this is what came out of it. And uh, when I first saw it, I was... I was but when the first book of the Red Bull book, uh, I had a few alterations to the cover. I said, I want you to exchange. But the, book, the first time I saw this, I was so happy. With it. I just had nothing to suggest. It went through as it was. Uh, and apart from the name, I had the, the, the initial name of the book was something else. Uh, but we had to change the name in the end. But it, it was quite literally the perfect cover. I couldn't think of anything better. It's great. There is one substitution because I'm looking at a cover here. On the original cover, it is Mark Obermarge. Oh, it's Mark Obermarge, of course. Who, yes. It, 
Yes, wait, yes. Uh, after, after his whole situation in February, uh, I felt it was only fair to get him off and replaced by uh, a more relevant Ajax figure. I uh, think you know, you're so smart to put the new Man United manager on the cover of a book about Ajax because <laughs> it almost brings a conclusion. I mean, I've been saying for the last few years, I think Edwin van der Sar should join uh, Ten Hag with the United connection. But I didn't realise one of the great things about Glorious Reinvention is it taught me that before van der Sar, there was no marketing director. He incepted the role and he's now his chief executive of Ajax. Yeah, basically there was there was nobody in his role before. And I, perhaps I, I'm assuming that comes only because marketing and football marketing became so important around the time uh, that he came around. And yeah, I mentioned the book as well that he went to university to sort of educate himself on the business side of things and the marketing side of things. So the role was perfectly made up for him to go up and take it. Uh, and he's he's done quite a good job in recent times, gone from marketing uh, director to now being the club CEO and one of the leading figures at the club. So it, it's a pretty big thing for him. I also mentioned in the book that he was inspired by Manchester United and David Gill and, you know, Manchester United being the whole perfect example of hyperinflation football gone wrong. So it, his United experience had helped him out in this Ajax role, and now Ajax are probably better placed in European football than United are, so... It's a cycle of life, and it's worked out perfectly. So. Yeah, you, you did say, I think it's a better position than Manchester United. And if you do write a third book, I know you're graduating, for which congratulations, commiserations. Um, but with, with, you've edited a book and you've got two books with your own name on it. So if you're, if you're going into an interview and you've got the book, so you can kind of buff it, buffer up the interview with a free copy. But this is a... You know that the typical undergraduate thesis is about fifteen, twenty thousand words. This book is what seventy thousand. Uh, this book is yes, seventeen thousand. <laughs> You're taking the mick at this point. <laughs> the glorious reinvention, the rebirth of Ajax Amsterdam. Um, it's got Eric Ten Hag on the cover. It's the, the third book should be how did Man U get it so wrong? Because that is the biggest story in world sport. United. They, they. But we'll, we'll talk later about the UEFA Cup final, the Europa League final that they won. But I'm, I've written this book about the Youth Cup. I think if United win the Youth Cup this season, and uh, it'll have happened by the time this goes out, they should celebrate that like they won the European Cup because it's a trophy. Would you consider writing a book about United and their doom laden last decade, the lost decade? Uh, probably not. I would take a break from writing books. It is a big undertaking for you know your whole life. If, if if someone's listening to this and they won't write a book, it's fun, it's rewarding, at the end of the day, it's great, the whole, the whole process is excellent, uh, but if it takes about a year, and for a year, it takes up basically every day of your life, almost, you know, it's, it's, at one point for me, it was the last thing I got off at night, the first thing I got off in the morning, and it was fun, but it, it does take up a lot of time, and a lot of bits from your life, uh, but as for United itself, I, I, probably not, maybe some point down the future, if something more interesting happens, you know, if this sort of reinvention that Man United happens, it's, it's possible, I have been, watching that club for a very long time uh, so I do know quite a bit about it and it would be a fun thing to do but perhaps not anytime soon I see, we will talk Ajax for the um, for most of uh, this but I do point the Football Library listener to Wings of Change uh, which is how the energy drinks, the sports drink took over a football franchise as it stands at the end of this season, Ralph Ranick will move from interim manager to some kind of director of football assistant technical director role. Is that right? It is right. Apparently, the role says consultant, but nobody really can tell what consultant means uh, in that uh, 
context. I can't really tell what consultant means in that context. Mm. Uh, there are a couple of people at Manchester United where roles aren't very well defined. You know, Dan Fletcher is up there. Um, nobody's sure what he does. He just he watches games on the sidelines, but that's all we can tell that he does, but we're not sure what he does. And Ralph Rennick is supposed to be the consultant who I imagine, from my understanding of the word, it would be himself being involved as you know one of the football men in a club that really needs football men or football people. But by nature, it should work out well because, as I mentioned, Man United need football people in football roles. So uh, consultant, football director, technical director, whatever, whatever they call it, it just, they just need someone up there who knows what they're doing in terms of football. And I don't know, dear listener, if you have cared enough to buy Wings of Change, but what we've seen over the last six months has been one man slowly losing his mind as all about him, Harry Maguire fails to be able to defend. But they lost to Everton. They lost to a team who Burnley, Sean Dye said they've forgotten how to win. Um, a lot of people have said this is a new depth. Do you think it would have helped Man United if David De Gea had scored the penalty against Villarreal, who are now in the semi-finals of the European Cup? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think it's you know just winning a trophy after at, at that point it would have been like, four years without winning a trophy. I think ending that four-year trophy drought and not making it five would have been quite helpful. They would have been in the Champions League anyway, so that's not a big issue. But a trophy, any trophy at that point, would have been quite helpful. You know, that sort of signals the start of a bad time. He lost, I think last season for Man United wasn't the worst thing in the world. They finished second in the league with a team that was... They deserved no more than that, or perhaps no more, no, no, no less than that either. Now it's just unraveled. The whole summer transfer window was a bit of a mess. The whole club is a bit disjointed. This, this, I've watched Man United for about 12 odd years, 13 odd years. This is one of the worst teams, not the worst yet, but it's, it's, it's up there as one of the worst or down there's one of the worst and um, and, and you know, the whole club is just disjointed I think the, tro- the trophy definitely would have helped it would have sort of elevated a few more players perhaps encouraged a few more to join maybe Solskjaer would have been having a job right now if that trophy was his whole pushing point that he deserves to stay in a job but you know I think Ten Hag going there now is likely he's likely to be going there I think that should be a new era another new era for Man United fourth or fifth new era yeah. since Fergie retired and uh, I just don't want to see a very good manager like Everton Hart being ruined by a club as complicated as Manchester United. He had the best advice from Louis van Gaal, who said, for God's sake, you're not going to a football club. Do you agree, knowing what you know about Man United and about van Gaal, who was famously sacked after winning the FA Cup? Um, oh, definitely, yeah. I've said this a lot of times over the last couple of weeks. The only reason I don't want to see Everton Hart going to Man United is because, and nothing against Ten Hag or United, it's just... There's a perfectly good manager who's still quite young, who still has the potential to be at a much better club, like I could say, well, well I could say Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, whoever. There are much better position clubs out there who would actually be interested in getting a very good manager like him and him going to United. If he fixes it, then it's, it's a very good job done, but it, it's going to take a lot of fixing and a lot of pressure. And I fully expect him to go in, and if he loses his first one, two games, or loses two games in his first five or so, the pressure will be back on him and people to call for his head and the usual toxicity. But mm. I, I hope for his sake and his career that his high potential isn't brought down by a club like that. It is a huge, but, huge thing to do. I mean, he's not moving far. He's moving from Amsterdam to Manchester. They're very similar clubs and very similar cities. I wish him luck. Who's he going to take with him as staff? Uh, it's uncertain, yeah. There's always a belief that Ajax or his current staff who are... Uh, who've been with him for a couple of years, Michael Rieziger and, and 
Winston Bogarde, who've been there for a couple of years with him at Ajax. It's, there's always a belief that he won't be taking them. There's always a belief that he'd take one of the former Dutch United players with him. Most believably, Robert Van Persie. There's also a Ruben Nistelrooy thing going on last week until he got a job at PSV for next season. But I, I expect Robert Van Persie to be there at some point. There's always been a belief of Steve McLaren as well, which would be interesting because Steve McLaren worked at 20 with Ten Hag as his assistant, so it would be a bit, a bit of a role reversal in Manchester and McLaren would be back as assistant at Old Trafford, so it would be quite cool to see that. Um, but I, I hope it's, for, for the sake of nostalgia, I hope it's McLaren in there and Robert Van Persie in there as well. It would be quite nice to see. Yeah, I read that about Van Persie and, um, God, 10 years since Van Persie helped United win that uh, 20th league title. Uh, this book, Glorious Reinvention, The Rebirth of Ajax Amsterdam, I think it's very comprehensive because what you have to do is go back a long, long time ago and spool all the way back uh, to Jack Kerwin, Ajax's first successful manager who was um, the 1900s. In the 1910s, Jack Reynolds started to focus on youth, but, surprise, surprise, like Cryf, he fell out with the board uh, and was later, he was a prisoner of war. Where did you source all the material on the Jacks, Kerwin and Reynolds? Uh, it was a lot of blog reading. Uh, there's this one very famous Ajax blog called Ajax USA. It was, it was quite an interesting blog. I read through almost all of their historical pieces, but I think there weren't that many, I say, well, there were like 10 or 12 of them. And it was very interesting reading. It, it taught me about uh, you know, the two Jacks, the, two, the, the English connection with Ajax, the whole youth connection and how they are, why they are, the way they are. These Football Times magazine is a great resource for stuff like that. And yeah, I think those two were the biggest source. But the Ajax USA blog was quite excellent because it was, it's founded by, as I mentioned, the Ajax American supporters, as well as uh, Mino Pot, who is a famous Ajax writer based in Amsterdam, who's done quite a, a lot of work about Ajax for the last couple of years. He's now a music journalist as well. So uh, I do read his pieces every now and again with a translator because they're all in Dutch. But it, it was a very interesting blog. Yeah, that was the other thing I was going to mention, because if a lot of the source material was in Dutch, was Google Translate your assistant for this book, or were you able to get in English? Trans- I know you did a lot of interviews, 30 of them, so they must have been in English. Did you have to translate a lot of text into English? Yeah, that's always been the case. I mean, for the first book, there was a lot of, of, course, a lot of text German. in German in there as well, a bit of Portuguese with the Brazilian side as well. Uh, but yeah, it's, always, it's, it's part of the job. You've got to get a lot, a lot of translating. I don't use Google Translate personally. It's going to sound really big trip. Uh, but Google Translate is a bit inaccurate. Uh, DPL Translate is really good. Uh, I don't know. I didn't think I'd be getting translation advice here, but it's a really good uh, tool to, or a more accurate tool for translation and, and stuff like that. So it, it, when writing a book, you do, you do need to translate near you. It's more advised that you have an actual human translator, a person who speaks the language. I think the online bit does the job. Evidently, you have to cover the hyper-successful period, which um, I've worked out, over eight seasons between, is it 67 and 75? Ajax scored 100 goals a season and conceded only 22. So they were a fully functioning, well-organised machine. Did you go back and watch clips of league games? I know the European Cup games and the finals in particular would have been available. But did you watch the press in action? Uh, there was a bit of video watching, yes. Uh, I mean, my my focus on the book wasn't to cover that era. I wanted to touch on it, but not give it the most extensive coverage because obviously the book was about the 21st century. But I, I did kind of go into a bit of depth of it so that there was a video, bit of footage that I went through, which is quite interesting. I mean, we talk about the Ajax team with such praise and we always talk about it in such a complimentary way. And, and it's fully deserved for a team like that to win so many European Cups and so many trophies. 
in that period. Uh, obviously, football back then was much more different than what it is now. We'd say they did press, they did have a very attractive brand of football. Uh, but there are obvious dissimilarities that, that you can see between then and now. So it was interesting to learn about the, the, the way pressing was then, the way football was back then. I would say lack of organisation as well. Uh, I could notice that quite often. Uh, it's not as structured as it, as it is now. So it was interesting to watch all that. I wouldn't say I went into, into it with full depth, but I did watch some of the famous games, especially the European Cup finals against Inter and Juventus games against Liverpool, which was the, the missed game, which was played fully in the missed. Uh, yes. I didn't see footage of that, but yeah. the pictures of it were quite cool. I note that um, Simon Cooper's book on football Ajax and, and me is not in the reference section but I don't know if you're aware of that book Simon grew up in Amsterdam and he wrote about being Jewish in Amsterdam yeah I did I did I did hear about the book but I didn't read through it specifically for this now no because you wouldn't because you wouldn't need it for the book but it's no it it shows it's more to do with the 74 World Cup final West Germany and Amsterdam and uh, Holland and the Netherlands that era informs your book as does Brilliant Orange the neurotic genius of Dutch football by the great David Winner. I hope your book joins them, actually, because it's not just about football. When you were starting to write the book, you knew that you wanted to look at beyond the pitch. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was ultimately the case. The whole Netherlands is one of my favourite football countries in uh, that I've been most fascinated by since I've been watching football for the last couple of years. A, a good era of football needs a good Dutch national team or a good team from the Netherlands, you know, shining out. Then I actually done that for the last few years in the Netherlands. It's always good to have the Netherlands back in international tournaments. As and that gap they had over the last couple of years wasn't wasn't the best thing. So it's always a fascinating aura around Dutch football. You know, you talk about the historical side. You have the Cruyffs and the Michels and and all that. The great Ajax teams and even the nineties with Louis van Gaal and the other great players they had. So there's always been a good football era. Has always had a good Dutch team uh, at the top of it or near the top of it. Beyond the pitch, I just wanted to learn how significant the societal impact was around these Dutch teams. And we know how the Netherlands are historically, it's just the immigration and with the, the, the foreign foreigners coming in and sort of except amplifying Dutch football, you know, the Caribbean and Suriname and countries like that just coming in and, and amplifying Dutch football. So there's always been that sort of impact in the Netherlands and I wanted to learn a little bit off that and put that into the book, sort of give greater context to this current Ajax era. Before I forget, in your acknowledgements, you quote the C14 crew and the support from them. Did they want to read what you were doing or did you foist it upon them, your, your university building mates? Um, they were quite an important part. I mean, I've never been asked, I wasn't prepared for this, but I'm, sorry, I'm going to read the first book again. The first book I did entirely alone. There was a period where I was living in lockdown entirely alone for about seven or eight weeks because it was just me in my house. So having an extra group of people around me is quite good. I think having good people around you helps build your own work and sort of wants you to get better. So it, it was quite nice to have them with me. They, they, they're just friends that I've known for a little over a year. And by the time the book comes out, it'll be about around close to two years. Uh, but but yeah, I just think that it was, it was nice to have some supportive people. And they've always been supportive. Offered. They always offered to help out. Some of them did a bit of proofreading once in a while or, uh, I don't, if you've read the book, the second or third chapter, the second and third chapters are quite long, about seven, 7,000 odd words. And I, I often gave it, gave it to them to proofread and to see if it made sense and if the continuity was there in the book. So they were quite a helpful group to have around, whether they contributed to the book or didn't contribute to the book. It was, it was quite nice to have them around. So 
they did have an important role in this. I'm, I'm sorry to, to surprise you with some questions which aren't about glorious reinvention, the rebirth of Ajax Amsterdam, but the yeah. book is there. The book speaks for itself. Just read it. It's a brilliant summation of one of the most famous football teams in the world and one of the most successful. Um, although they, they weren't entirely successful um, until that 60... Well, they were successful, but not very, very successful until that period when the genius Johan Cruyff appeared. Was 2010, by the way, your first World Cup? It was the first World Cup I... Well, I, can, I watched more than half of. The, I'd say 2006 was the first World Cup, but I was about six years old then, yeah. so I don't really know much about it. I remember... But 2010. I, 2010. Yeah. I remember watching the final at Dad's girlfriend's house... And there should have been some sendings off. Howard Webb did lose control of the game, unfortunately. And Johan Cruyff famously wrote, it was anti-football. So if the Netherlands had won that game and beaten the Spanish team, would we have seen a more physical football? Because that's the kind of football that wins the World Cup. Whereas now we've got the Guardiola-Klopp style, which is pressing. Or did what happen through Cruyff going back to Ajax and reinstating what they'd done in the 70s, did that become a reaction to what Dutch football was in 2010? I think it's more the latter. I think that, you know, it's a very interesting question as well. It just makes you think, because uh, you wouldn't think, if you put it into context, you put it piece by piece, you wouldn't think that in a, in a match between the Netherlands and Spain, which is the two countries where Cruyff was, you know, sort of made a name for himself, that it would be Spain playing the Cruyff way and Netherlands not doing so. But I think that, the Ajax reinvention after Cruyff's intervention was the way Cruyff wanted Ajax and ultimately Dutch football to be. And we've seen the, the, the sort of reflection of it right now. A lot of the Dutch team are, a lot, the, Dutch, the Dutch team currently are filled with Ajax players who sort of came out of that Cruyff revolution. So you think of Frankie de Jong, Matthijs de Ligt, uh, eventually there will be Ryan Gravenberg, Hugh Timber, those kinds of players who sort of grew up in this uh, reinvented Ajax so I think that building up Ajax ultimately build, built up Dutch football. And there's always been this feeling that a good Ajax is a good Dutch national team. Uh, and we've seen the rewards of that in the last couple of years. Ajax have improved and almost it's almost linear that the Netherlands have improved as well. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's more the latter point than the first point that Dutch football or the Dutch national team shouldn't be playing in that way of, sort of having that physicality and they should stick to more of the traditional principles which made them so successful in the 70s, the 90s, and, well, hopefully now. Yeah, I'm glad I fumbled towards that question. We're coming up to half-time. Did you, while you were reading and researching the the doldrums, the era where Ajax didn't win anything for years, when commercialisation brought soullessness, you say, a club without a soul, did you feel sorry or angry for Ajax, or quite thankful that they had to plumb those depths in order to rise up? to uh, a couple of European finals? Uh, it is sad. I mean, Ajax are, I'd say by default, so Ajax are almost everyone, or just about everyone's second team, in a way, uh, unless you support a PSV or a final or any yeah, Dutch club. Uh, I'd say for the neutral, they do feel like a more of a second club, that you know you want them to do well. So it is a bit sad that Ajax, for me personally, I felt quite sad that Ajax became uh, what they became. I remember a period in the 2010s when I was just starting off in football, or watching football, uh, 2010 to about 14 ish to the winning league titles, and it was good to see. But their lack of presence on the European scene was was a bit of a worry. And at the time, you you think that if Ajax continuously win the league under Frank de Boer, why aren't they replicating that in Europe? Whereas other clubs like Benfica or Porto 
uh, and the left even at some point were doing relatively well in Europe or the Europa League or the Champions League. So it was it was a bit strange. I always found it a bit strange that Ajax were like that they, that they won four on the balance in the league but never got to be on the group stage in the Champions League. And they had good players as well at the time. You think of Christian Eriksen, the De Jongs, uh, Steppenberg. Uh, so they had a couple of good good players coming through. But yeah, it was a bit sad. I think that the, the way I look at it now, now that I understand football more, commercialization was it, it's 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 a staple of modern football. It's supposed to be there. You need that level of commercialization to be a successful football club. But how far you take it determines how well you do on the pitch. Now you can, uh, as you mentioned earlier, you mentioned United who've taken it a bit too far, and that's reflected in the football. They're an example of it going horribly wrong, whereas Ajax going a bit far, realizing it and fixing up is an example of doing it right or at least getting it right eventually after realizing the mistake. So that's the sort of thing you want to see with a club like Ajax who have this much history in the game. You don't want to see them lose that identity for the sake of earning a few extra euros. And you want to see them building up players like how they've been doing for so many decades in the past. I think at this point we'll take some brilliant oranges for half time. But I want to set you uh, a teaser, Karen Tejuani, author of Glorious Reinvention, The Rebirth of Ajax Amsterdam. Because you're graduating this summer, I need you to be fully uh, convinced that the world is harsh. And sometimes you get asked odd questions such as this. The Ajax Museum shut after just under two years at a huge loss in 2011, I think it was. Since then... Ajax have done very well domestically and in European competition. So I want you to pick three items from the last decade or three video clips that would be in the Ajax Museum. And you can have some oranges. I'm going to grab some water. You can have some oranges and think on that. 